0: Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. It's bang the BangTheBook.com's MLB betting podcast for Monday, July 13th. I am your host, Adam Burke. This and every edition of the Betters Box, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook, BTB, and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook, 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. The Daily KBO article is finished. There's a lot of other stuff to get to here. The Major League Baseball season is only 10 days away. The NBA starts in 17 days. NHL starts August 1st. College football, at least for now, appears to be going on in a modified way. The NFL should be coming up here as well. So just too many other things to focus on here. Just gonna have to leave the KBO out of it. We still have golf, UFC, NASCAR, all that kind of thing. So The KBO article is finished. However, I'll still be updating that bullpen spreadsheet every day. Hopefully you bookmarked that if you ever want it, at Skating Tripods on Twitter, a very good way to get a hold of me. It'll be doing some more NFL Futures content here shortly. Going to be doing some more NBA and NHL content as well. We already took a look at some of the return to play lines for the NBA for July 30th, 31st, and then on into the 1st. Uh, We'll take a look at some NHL series price stuff here coming up as well. So definitely looking forward to getting back into it with those daily winter sports that now all of a sudden have become summer sports here with the pandemic. Uh, Golf, back at Mirfield Village again this week for the Memorial. We'll write that up and then talk about that on Tuesday with Brian Blessing. We'll talk UFC. We'll talk NASCAR. Well, I'll be writing about UFC. We'll talk about NASCAR on that podcast tomorrow. Have previews of all kinds of stuff for you going up over at the website. There's another horse race this weekend on Saturday. Hit back-to-back the boxes here in the Indiana Derby and the Bluegrass Stakes. So hopefully you read those previews, took advantage of that. But we're keeping busy over at bangthebook.com. And something else I encourage you to check out over there, all of our sportsbook reviews, including the exclusive bonus codes for bangthebook.com. Again, like I said, we're 10 days away from baseball. 17 days from the NBA, 19 days from the NHL. With everything that's coming up here, along with a fall full of golf majors and Triple Crown events, UFC events, NASCAR playoffs, all that kind of thing, you want to make sure that you are set up. Now is a good time to get all of those sports betting accounts in order. Redeposit if you need to. Sign up for new ones if you need to. Again, shopping around for the best prices is paramount. In this business, so check out bangthebook.com. Check out our sports book reviews. See which sports books will work for you. We've got write-ups of my bookie, Bovada, Five Dimes, Bet Online, Bet Any Sports, Vietbet, obviously DSI, bookmaker. Um, you know, Jazz Sports, US Dice, all kinds of places out there in the industry are written about over at bangthebook.com. So please make sure you check those out if you're in the market here for a new sports book, and you know, quite frankly, with everything that's going on here coming up, these oddsmakers, these bookmakers are going to have a lot on their plates. You're going to be able to find some very good prices out there that you can look to exploit. We got one question here for the Monday Mailbag, so we'll talk about that. Then I'll do a five-and-fly segment for the National League East, and then a quick look at the week ahead here in the KBO, which is kind of all thrown off because there were a lot of rainouts and postponements over the weekend. But we start with that question, once again, from our good buddy, Rich Lamons. I actually posed this question to both myself and Kyle Hunter via email, not necessarily for the Monday Mailbag here, but I thought it would be something good to talk about on today's show. And Rich says here, do you think Phil Steele's magazine numbers or rankings will be used even more if everything is conference only, since he has a nice and easy way of ranking position groups within each conference? If line moves seem to mirror the steel rankings, I think it could create more opportunity if your personal numbers differ and you trust your own work. Agree, disagree, nothing too different from previous seasons. Here's my thought on all of this. We know that Phil is kind of the the preeminent guy here for college football for a lot of people. I know that there are magazines like Athlon that come out earlier. Uh, Bill Connolly does fantastic work, and I'll talk about him in a second. But I do think that, you know, with the way that this summer has played out, you know, you would think people would be spending more time getting prepared for the football seasons, but instead they've gravitated to the golf market, to the UFC market, to the NASCAR market. Because I think all of us, and and this was kind of a discussion that we had in that email chain, I think all of us still wonder whether or not college football will actually be played. So a lot of people probably aren't doing their homework, probably aren't doing as much as they usually do because nobody's really been betting into the win total markets. Nobody's been really betting into the futures markets for college football because it just didn't look like it was going to happen. So what's going to happen here is that once Steeles Magazine goes out, and I believe it's gone to print already, I think maybe over the next 10 days or so, people that signed up to get copies will get them and they'll be available at different booksellers. We're going to see a lot of people rely on Steele very, very heavily early on in the process. A lot of people rely on Connolly too. I mean, Connolly's kind of become basically the Ken Palm of college football in the sense that what he puts out there is absolutely fantastic work. It's terrific. It's a great resource, but it's a resource that everybody already uses. So a lot of Connolly is built into people's power ratings. Is built into the thought processes, and the philosophies about these teams as we go into the season. It's still not close to Steele's influence on the market, but it's getting up there now. And with everybody playing catch-up, with a lot of people not doing the work themselves, going to rely on other people to do the work, yeah, I think there is a very realistic possibility, especially with conference play only, that a lot of people just exclusively look at Steele, maybe look a little bit at Connolly. The question is... And I guess there are a lot of questions. So I should say the questions are players opting out, positive tests. A lot of this stuff is going to wreak havoc with college football. You're going to have different states, different universities, different colleges, all with different, you know, restrictions and requirements for these players. You know, on-campus learning is a question around the country. How will players be roomed? You know, will they have to come up with different accommodations for these players to where, They don't have roommates, you know, because when you think about how this is set up in college football, sort of the hierarchy of college football teams, a lot of times the best players, the guys that are going through the same things together, you know, draft evaluations and talking to teams and all that, a lot of times the best players are the closest guys on the team and they room together. You know, those are your closest teammates. So if one tests positive, does the other one automatically have to go into quarantine? And even if you do, you know, separate these kids, put them in different dorm rooms or different campus housing or whatever else, most of us went to college. Some of us are in college. College kids do what they want. And, and you know, it's going to be more regimented and structured for the Division One athletes. But if these guys want to do something, they're going to do something. They're not going to stay away from each other. So that's a big question here. And it's not even necessarily about safety because as we know, the death rates for young people are are very, 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 very low. But it's really a question of liability for the universities. You know, they don't want to get sued. The players, you know, you may have one that, you know, tragically passes away or a couple that tragically pass away. And that would be horrible. And it would certainly bring everything into question with not just the virus, but also, you know, the optics of playing college football through it. But, you know, you're going to have a lot of scenarios where kids are going to get it. And their parents are going to question you know, all the long-term health concerns and all that. This becomes a liability issue for the schools. So I don't know how they're going to work all the logistics out with all of this. And that's why you know, I haven't done anything with regards to college football yet. Because I, I, I still don't think it's going to happen. And at some point, I'm going to have to. And at some point, I'm going to have to catch up. And that's too Rich's point here of you know, the reliance of Phil Steele's magazine the reliance of other preseason publications and how much that influences the betting market because it will be pretty substantial. And now if we're looking at conference play only, you know, we know we've seen major upsets all the time. North Carolina almost knocked off Clemson last year. Ohio State seems to have that one awful performance whether it's against Iowa or when they got blown out by Purdue or you know against Indiana, something like that. You know, we see this all the time in conference play. You know, the familiarity elements, overconfidence, stuff like that. Will the season mean less to these kids without non-conference play, without those marquee matchups, without bowl games potentially, without conference championship games and the college football playoff? You know, we don't know what all of this is going to look like here. So will these teams be fully invested? I don't know. But one thing I will say regarding Steels Magazine is that you know, a lot of the sharper college football minds out there will get it, will look at it, will use it for what they use it for. For me, for example, I like it because I can look at the position groups, and I can look at depth, and I can look at, you know, everything's just laid out really nicely. I mean, a lot of instances, it, Connolly has better metrics with returning production and all those types of things, havoc rates, stuff like that. Connolly has a lot better data. Phil's presentation of it makes it really easy. Plus, you've got the schedule right there for putting together win totals, all that kind of thing. So I use Phil's magazine, but I think the criticism is warranted from some of the sharper people that are out there because, you know, Phil relies on all this historical data. He has to keep the lines of communication open with these coaches and these SIDs and the athletic directors and stuff like that. So a lot of times, these aren't really honest assessments. These are... You know, him being optimistic, glass half full, can't be too critical because he still has to be able to talk to those coaches to get the information for his magazine. So I think Phil Steele has a purpose. I think his magazine is useful. I think it's very good organizationally, but I do think that there could be an over-reliance on it in the betting markets, especially with, you know, things like the most improved list. We see that all the time, stuff like that. So I do think there are opportunities to go against the grain of Steels Magazine, of Connolly, of some of the preseason, you know, uh, prognostications and publications that are out there. And with this unique format, I do think there is a chance that there is more reliance on just letting someone else do the work and kind of branching off of that. So we'll see what it looks like. You know, I know Circa posted week one lines, which are irrelevant now because there won't be a week one for a lot of teams, because there's no non-conference games. But, yeah, I think there's a definite possibility that, you know, there will be an over-reliance on steel. Uh, Again, if you ever have any questions here for the Monday Mailbag, adam at bangthebook.com, skatingtripods at gmail.com, or at skatingtripods on Twitter. We transition over back into the baseball side here for the Five and Fly segment about the National League East. Ten days away from the start of the season, we'll do NL Central, on Thursday we'll do NL West next Monday and then on th- next Thursday's show that's it it's game time it is time to go here with the major league baseball season but for now we take a look at the five and five for the NL East the Atlanta Braves their season win total 33 and a half 20 to 1 for the World Series 10 to 1 for the Pennant and interestingly enough pulling these World Series and Pennant futures from bet online here the Dodgers are plus 150 for the NL Pennant Everybody else is 10 to 1 or higher, including the Atlanta Braves in that group. So there's probably some value on the NL Pennant odds over at Bet Online. And then from five dimes plus 220 to win the National League East. A couple of positive tests already here for the Braves Will Smith and Freddie Freeman. And it does seem like, by all accounts, Freddie Freeman had a pretty gnarly case of coronavirus. He's still not back with the team. And Nick Marcakis, who decided to opt out along with Felix Hernandez, Marcakis said that talking to Freeman and sort of discussing some of the symptoms and all that was one of the tipping points for Marcakis. Now, that being said, you know, we've had some opt-outs here, but none of them have been players of great significance in my estimation. Marcakis opt-out, look, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. He's a great clubhouse guy. He's a veteran leader for this team. But you can Skype, you can FaceTime, you can talk on the phone and text and all that. That doesn't necessarily bother me too much. A very good contact hitter, not a whole lot of power. And I think that what this does is opens up some more opportunities for a guy like Christian Pache, for a guy like Drew Waters, like Austin Riley, something like that, to where maybe you get a higher upside player. Maybe the floor isn't as high for those younger guys. But the ceiling could be a little bit higher than playing somebody like a Marcakis, So I'm not necessarily worried about that for Atlanta. And they signed Marcelo Zuna. He should help. They signed Peter O'Brien and Yonder Alonso to, I believe, minor league contracts for both of those guys. So there's some pretty good depth here for the Braves. They're a pretty solid defensive team. And this is a team. I mean, look, you've got Ronald Acuna. You've got Freddie Freeman. You've got some of these other younger guys that have kind of come up through the system. You've got a lot of players for this Braves team that are average or better. And I've talked about this before that, you know, in a lot of sports being average carries a negative connotation. In Major League Baseball being average is pretty good because there are a lot of below average guys out there. Even the guys that don't hit for the Braves are pretty good defensive players like an Ender, NCRT. This is a team that's very, very good one through nine. They're very deep. The DH will help them because they've got, you know, a few different guys that they could slot in two different places, so I do like a lot of what they have to work with here on the position player side, and I love what they have to work with on the pitching side. Their starting pitchers run about nine or ten deep. Soroka, Freed, Fultonevich, Newcomb, Wright, Wilson, Anderson, another Wright, Cole Hamels, Tuki Toussaint, they've got a lot of depth here. And Alex Anthopoulos has already talked about this and said, look, you know, we've got all this pitching depth. We've got all this starting pitching depth. We're going to use it early in the process. We may limit guys to two or three innings. This is one of those teams that could go very hard with the piggybacks, especially behind Soroka and Freed, where it makes sense to piggyback a Fulton or a Newcomb or an Ian Anderson or something like that. It makes a lot of sense for them to use maybe a modified four-man rotation, or they could do a six-man rotation if they really wanted to. But I think the Braves, because of the pitching depth that they have, they can be very, very creative with this process. And I think that's something that could ultimately benefit them in a variety of different ways. And then last year, they rebuilt the bullpen on the fly. They traded for Mark Melanson. They traded for Shane Green and Chris Martin then over the offseason they sign Will Smith who's not with the team yet but at least he's not a starting pitcher he's a reliever takes less time for those guys to get ready Darren O'Day is back now after only eight appearances last year the thing about the Braves is this they have a lot of options and some teams aren't going to have a lot of options they're going to have to really use and ride their best options the Braves have a lot of reliable guys that they can go to All guys that either have track records or have ceilings. And that's something I really like about this Braves team here is that maybe over the course of 162 games, the ceiling is a little bit lower because you're asking a lot of guys to be really good for a sustained period of time. Here, you're asking guys to be really good for a short period of time. I liked them more than the market overall coming into the season. I liked them a lot in this format. I like the depth. I like the high ceiling. I like a lot of things about this Braves team. So I think if you're looking at a 10 to one to win the pennant or something like that, it's not a bad grab. It it, it really isn't. Again, playing futures right now is very dangerous and very disconcerting because of the potential for injuries and positive test cases. But this Braves team, they are very deep. They do not have weaknesses. And I think that's a really strong thing here because You've got to be consistently good for 60 games or have a really, really, really good burst of high variance outcomes. And for the Braves, I think that they could just be good overall. And that's, again, you know, there are so many things philosophically that you have to talk about here. And you talk about that with a team like the Miami Marlins. Their season win total 24 and a half, 250 to one to win the World Series, 150 to one for the pennant, 85 to one for the division. The Marlins in a short sample size can be good. But you're asking them to play way over their heads for a sustained period of time. And it can happen. And it is one of the reasons why I would have no interest in playing any of the really low season win totals that are out there, like a 24 and a half here. Because I look at the Marlins in this format and say, you know what? They might not be bad. At least not as bad as as this season win total number implies. Now, the problem is somebody in this division has to lose. And somebody across the AL East and the NL East has to lose. And there are a lot of teams that probably have a much higher ceiling than the Marlins. But when you look at what they did coming into the season here, they signed Jonathan VR, They signed Corey Dickerson to a two-year deal. Jesus Aguilar, Matt Joyce, Francisco Cervelli. They signed some guys that they were hoping that guys that were hoping to either have a bounce back season or guys at the Marlins could trade at the trade deadline. Well, now there's extra incentive for these guys to impress in a short burst because they had a hard time finding jobs. No good teams wanted them. They had to go to the Marlins where they could play every day, hope to you know recoup some of that lost value coming off of the seasons that they had last year, or just, you know, try to find a landing spot to where they can thrive a little bit. Now, the trade deadline is is going to be a big question mark. And what happens with these guys going into next year, coming off of these short burst seasons? So these are all guys additionally motivated to play well. And you talk about some of the guys, like a Nick Marcakis opting out, Nick Marcakis doesn't need to come out here and play. He's not hurting for money. Not that, you know, Guys like Dickerson and cervelli who have had some decent contracts are hurting for money, but just simply that, you know, they need jobs. They need job security for next year. Somebody's always going to sign a Nick Marcakis. These other guys, these platoon types of guys and stuff like that, they have extra incentive to impress. They are additionally motivated relative to some of their peers. And you mix them in with guys like Ison Diaz and Jorge Alfaro and Lewis Brinson. Guys that at this point in time in their mid-20s. Need to show something, need to show they can be everyday players alongside the best player on the team in Brian Anderson. So, the Marlins here are a very engaged team, and they've got guys that do have some track records, albeit you know, track records that you don't necessarily love. But in this format, here the Marlins lineup could be kind of interesting, and you like the pitching staff already, Caleb Smith. If he can stay healthy for a shirt burst, that's huge. Jordan Yamamoto showed some flashes last year. Uh, Jose Urania, he was a league average guy a couple of years ago. He might not be bad. Pablo Lopez is beloved in the metric community. A lot of people love that guy. Sandy Alcantara, contact management guy, may thrive if he's got some positive variants. Then you've got Sixto Sanchez and Nick Neidert and Edward Cabrera, guys that are knocking on the door. The bullpen. They added Brandon Kinsler, They added Yimi Garcia, Brad Boxberger, Stephen Tarpley, Sterling Sharp. They got Ryan Stanek in the Nick Anderson deal last year with Tampa Bay. There are a lot of arms here for the Marlins. And if I'm looking at doormats to maybe make a push, it's the Marlins. And again, I mean, they're locked in a very tough division, especially playing, you know, two-thirds of their games against their four-division foes but the Marlins are the kind of team that in this format are pretty interesting because if they're contending maybe they hold on to some of those guys if they're not well they go the youth movement route and bring up guys that are really motivated to play so the Marlins are kind of an interesting team here again you know I'm not playing any low season win total unders I don't know if I would necessarily take this team for any long shot futures or anything like that but still they're interesting in this format and that's more than we can say for some of these teams here with this 60-game sprint. The New York Mets, 32.5, their win total, 22-1 to one for the World Series, also in that 10-1 to one group for the pennant, plus 295 to win the National League East. And, you know, the Mets were a team I really liked coming into the season. They were a team I looked at and said, you know what? This is a team that's got a pretty high ceiling. The question, as it always is with the New York Mets, is health. In this 60-game sprint, will they be healthier? It's kind of hard to try and figure out what a team's health will look like in a small sample size. If these are the 60 games they're healthy for, they could damn well win this division and make a big playoff push. If these are the 60 games they're not healthy for, then they're not going anywhere. They are a very high-variance team because of the health questions. And I love the look of this team on paper. You've got Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso, Robbie Cano, J.D. Davis, Michael Conforto, Wilson Ramos. That's a very, very good National League lineup. Now they get to add a DH and quite possibly get Yoan Cespedes back in there without having to play the outfield. That could be a bonus. But again, what part of the season are these guys healthy for? Cano's had injuries lately. Conforto and Nimmo have been hurt. McNeil's been hurt throughout most of his career and then missed the last part of last season. The one thing about the Mets is this, and I've talked about this a lot, where philosophically these teams have dec- have some decisions to make. You know, Do we play for this year? Do we play for the future where we don't have a minor league season for our guys to go out there and get 140 innings or 450 plate appearances, stuff like that. For the Mets, they don't have those questions. They don't have a great minor league system right now. They don't have a lot of top-end talent knocking on the door. So for them, they are not caught in between. They don't have to worry about prospects and how much they play. It is all about the major league roster for them. So you've got DeGrom, Stroman, Porcello, Mats, Waka. And those are two big questions too in Porcello and Waka. You know, what do you get? Porcello's now away from Fenway Park. I think that could help him. Michael Wacha, he was hurt. But again, is another one of those guys. Like I said, are these the 12 starts he's healthy for? Or are these the 12 starts that he misses? And if he misses them, Noah Syndergaard already out with Tommy John. Starting pitching depth, a major question. They don't have a whole lot of ceiling with the back-end guys or the minor leaguers, the guys on in the player pool. So they've got to stay healthy here. They need DeGrom to be healthy, Strowman to be healthy, Mats to be healthy. Porcello's kind of a poster boy for good health, but does he have a ceiling? He's got a you know relatively high floor, but what is his ceiling? So the Mets, to me, are a team where, you know, I don't know how this all plays out for them. You've got some contract guys in the mix here, impending free agents, like a Marcus Strowman. The bullpen looks really good, and that would be the saving grace for the Mets here, I think, in terms of why I would kind of like their prospects more than dislike their prospects for the season Edwin Diaz will bounce back it was a rare year in the home run department they signed Dellen Batances which I love Seth Lugo might be the most underrated relief pitcher in the major leagues Justin Wilson's good Juris Tramilia Robert Selman they've got a lot of relief pitcher depth for the late innings I felt like the Mets could win the division coming into the year. I think that's still a possibility here. I think plus 295 is a decent grab on them. Again, though, they've got a high ceiling in short bursts, but they probably have a low floor in short bursts as well because of the injury considerations for them. So the Mets are a polarizing team here, I think, coming into this small sample size. On one hand, I love it because they don't have to stay healthy. On the other hand, if they don't stay healthy... They don't have a lot of organizational depth. So depth is a blessing and a curse here, I think, in, with regards to some of these teams for this 60-game season. Because again, you know, does depth matter if you don't need it? No, not really. But if you need it, some teams don't have it. And one of those teams, to me, is the Philadelphia Phillies. Season win total 30 and a half, 33-1 to for the World Series, 18-1 to 1 for the pennant, 295 at five times for the division. To me, I look at the Phillies, and this is the team with the lowest ceiling of anybody in this division. Now, the offense should be better. They get Andrew McCutcheon back. They get Dede Gregorius, who comes over from the Yankees, on that one-year deal, looking to sort of recoup his value. They added Jay Bruce at the midseason last year. JT Realmuto, it's a contract year for him. But you've got Bryce Harper with the pregnant wife. How much time does he miss? And what is Reese Hoskins? Because last year, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest detriments for the Phillies was that Reese Hoskins was awful. You know, he still drew some walks, but the power numbers fell. He struck out a ton. The Phillies' offense could be good. But on the other hand, Harper was pretty good last year. Real Mudo was pretty good last year. And they were a below average offense. Now, when they lost Kutch, things kind of fell apart for them a little bit. He was off to a very, very good start. But again, I mean, that's a guy in his mid-30s, you know. So I don't know how this little 60-game thing goes for him, for a guy like Jay Bruce, for like Gregorius, who, you know, had the major injury last year. This is an offense that has individual pieces and parts and has talent and has name recognition. But I don't think that this is a great offense. And the pitching staff, I don't love at all. You know, I think Aaron Nola is very good, but Aaron Nola last year struggled with his command. And Aaron Nola is a guy that can struggle with his command. Aaron Nola is a guy that when something goes wrong, it snowballs a little bit. When something's wrong mechanically or health-wise, it kind of picks up steam. On the other hand, when he's feeling good and he's in a groove, he will rattle off 10 dominant starts in a row. So he's a little bit of a high-variance guy in this high-variance format already, but I think he needs to be really good. I think Zach Wheeler will be, you know, solid. But I don't like Jake Arrieta. I don't like Vince Velasquez, even in this format. I don't like Zach Eflin. And they don't have any pitching depth behind those guys. Is it a Irvin? Do they force Spencer Howard out there after only throwing 30 and two-thirds in double-A? They don't have good pitching depth on the starting side. And they probably have, in my opinion, the worst bullpen in the National League. Hector Neris is okay, but pretty low ceilings for everybody else. Maybe Nick Pavetta takes to a bullpen role full-time this year, but I don't like this bullpen. I think this is a very low-ceiling bullpen for the Phillies. And again, in this format, with starters not stretched out, with every game magnified in impact, and this is an important takeaway point too, every single game now is magnified. So what's going to happen is that managers are going to have to be very aggressive. You know, you there's no, in, there's no reason to push your starter a third time through the order. You need pitching depth. You need bullpen depth in particular. And the Phillies don't have it. And David Robertson's on the comeback trail from Tommy John. Maybe he makes an appearance. Maybe he doesn't. Sir Anthony Dominguez, he had elbow issues in spring training. The Phillies have a low ceiling bullpen a low ceiling rotation beyond Aaron Nola and an offense that I think probably ends up being average to below average the Phillies to me it would not shock me if they finish last in this division it would not shock me if the Marlins in this short burst are good enough to be better than the Phillies so if I'm making a win total play here and I may throw some pizza money on a couple of them Phillies under 30 and a half is what I'm very much looking at here for this upcoming shortened season. Finally, the Washington Nationals. Season win total half 30 to 1 to win the World Series, 16 to 1 for the pennant, plus 255 for the NL East. I gotta say, you know, I know that they're kind of being used as the example of how a 60 game format could be really different because they were 19 and 31 through 50 games last year. 30 to 1 to win the World Series on this team is an awfully high price. Because when you look at the Nationals, really the biggest loss from last year is Anthony Rendon, and other than that, this is mostly the same team. You get Starlin Castro at second base, that's an upgrade. Eric Thames, we'll see what he winds up doing. Carter Keboom, he's going to be the guy who takes over for Rendon at third. We'll see what that looks like. Juan Soto still away from the team for right now. Sounds like there were some big logistical issues. I saw, it, I think it was an athletic article or I saw something on Twitter about how Major League Baseball chartered a plane to bring over the guys from the Dominican, but didn't test for coronavirus before taking that flight. So some guys wound up getting it. Some guys kind of staying away from their teams right now. So we haven't seen Juan Soto in Nationals camp yet. Shouldn't take him a lot of time to get ready. I'm sure he's working out on his own but that was kind of a weird thing that sort of came out last week uh, regarding some of the Latin players and in particular the Dominican players. But when you look at everything for the Nationals here, the DH may help them more than anybody else in this division because now they could DH a guy like a Howie Kendrick or they could DH Eric Dames or something like that. They can use that DH spot to rotate guys in and out, keep them off their feet or keep them off their feet, all that kind of thing. So. I think the Nationals lineup looks really good, even without the loss of, or even without Rendon, and Ryan Zimmerman's not a big factor, so don't worry too much about that. They took a lot of pitchers in their player pool. They don't have a lot of position players in their player pool, so they're expecting their Major League versatility to carry them through, and that's probably a pretty good assumption in this 60-game format. The bullpen is a worry, because the bullpen is old. Doolittle, Hudson, Will Harris, their big offseason signing, he's 36 years old. These guys are in their mid-30s. So there are some worries about the back end of this bullpen, and that would be the thing that causes me to shy away from really going all-in with the Nationals here. But you've still got Strasburg, Scherzer, and Corbin. Best 1-2-3 punch in baseball. Annabal Sanchez is good. Eric Fetty, Austin Voth. Yeah, they're fine. They've got some starting pitching depth at the back end. They'd be a team that would really benefit from a four-man rotation. Now, I don't know if they do it, but they would greatly benefit from that. Something else that they benefit from, when you look at these World Series teams, and people talk about the World Series hangover and all that, it's not just a narrative, it's a workload thing. You know, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin all threw a lot of innings in the playoffs. Hudson and Doolittle were called on a lot. Now, because they only play 60 games instead of 162, you're talking about maybe 60 to 70 innings from Strasburg, Scherzer, Scherzer, and Corbin as opposed to trying to ask them to give you 200. You've got a much better chance of getting 70 good innings post World Series than you do 180 or 200. So I think the Nationals actually really benefit now in this format because you're not asking them to do a lot coming off of doing a lot last year. And also, too, now, all of a sudden for the Nationals, instead of taking November and part of December off, getting ready for the season in January, showing up for camp in mid-February, yeah, you showed up for camp, but you had another three months off. Three months of rest and recovery and sort of going through your training process and all that. That really helps the Nationals here, I think. This National League East is a bear, man. I like the Braves. I like the Nationals. I like the Mets. I like the Marlins could surprise. The only team I don't like is the Phillies. And I didn't like them coming into the season anyway. And I certainly don't like them in this format, playing 40 of 60 against you know three teams I think are very good and a Marlins team that I think could impress a little bit. So the bullpen for the Nationals does look scary. You know, Sean Doolittle is a guy that's very vocal about social causes and, and all those types of things. So who knows if he stays playing, if there's something he doesn't like, seems like he'll have no problem stepping away. So the bullpen is worrisome for the Nationals, but I think offensively and the starting pitching, they look really good. So this NL East is a really, really interesting division in so many different ways. I think it's a three team race. I think it's Nationals, Braves, and Mets, not necessarily in that order. I think the Phillies are a fade team. I think the Marlins could be better than people realize. But this is a knockdown, drag out fight now with 40 of 60 against division opponents. And then you've got to play the Yankees and the Rays and a high variance team in the Jays. So this looks like a pretty good fight here in the National League East. And hopefully everything goes according to plan. These teams stay healthy. All those types of things, but there are some teams I like here for you know taking shots for the NL pennant because again the Dodgers are just such a big favorite at plus one hundred and fifty that the Nationals at sixteen to one makes some sense. Braves at ten to one, same thing. Uh, The Mets ten to one, maybe shy away a little bit from the Mets in this format just because of those health concerns. They could really bottom out, but the Nationals and the Braves, I mean, those are teams that have very good chances here in the National League for a variety of different reasons. We'll talk NL Central on Monday, 5 and fly for those teams. But we take a quick look here at the week ahead in the KBO. You've got Hanwha and KT, Kia and Samsung, LG and Latta, NC and Kiwoom, SK and Doosan. Hanwha and KT, KT is really rolling. They've won 8 of 10 here recently. They hit left-handed pitching very, very well. So anytime KT starts against a lefty, take a look at their team total. Take a look at the full game total at their side. They will get Warwick Sopold in this series, but they'll also get a lefty in Kim Bum Su. So maybe that's a good spot to take KT or a team total over or something like that. Adrismer Despagne, he'll be back on extra rest now because of the rainouts that took place over the weekend. Despagne has struggled in those extra rest situations. So that's something you may want to take a look at there uh, in his start for KT. The KT Penn has been much better here of late. Very, very good. The Eagles are playing better, but still, with some recency bias on KT, with the perception of Hanwha, big lines here for KT in this series. You have to decide if you want to lay those or not. Kia and Samsung here. Kia going to another good hitters park, but again, still less than four runs per game on the road, but their rotation's been very, very good away from home as well. Samsung, they've dropped five of six. They've kind of leveled off a little bit. Samsung's got a cl- pretty clear bullpen edge here in this series, as well as a pretty clear edge defensively out in the field. But Kia has the offensive edge, and we'll see if they have the starting pitching edge here. It will be Drew Gagneau, Lee min and Yang Hyun-jong. David Buchanan pushed back for Samsung. Buchanan's three worst starts have all come at home this season. So that's something you want to factor in when he's pitching at Lions Park. Wante In is a negative regression candidate as well. I think this series sets up a little bit better for Kia than it does for Samsung. But again, Kia having issues scoring away from home this season. At least they're going to a very good park factor now with Samsung. LG and Lata. We got Casey Kelly and Tyler Wilson back around for LG here, but also Dan Straley and Adrian Sampson back around for the Giants LG's lost seven of ten they had a draw in the last game that they were able to play they're just an underachieving team and, and I, I'm not really sure why I know they've had some injury considerations with the lineup but they're just not performing up to expectations here good pitching matchups in this series will get some lower posted totals pretty good hitting environment in Busan but LG's not really hitting. Lotta's only scoring five runs per game at home. The Lotta bullpen is a lot better than the LG bullpen. And Kelly and Wilson have just kind of been all over the place here. So maybe this series sets up a little bit better for Lotta. And I certainly think it sets up better in Dan Straley's start, which I believe will be on Tuesday here. NC and Kiwoom, And, you know, for NC, uh, Chang Mo had to start and stop. They started the game even though Rain was threatening so they lost the Kuchang mo start. Kiwoom probably avoids two of the big three here in this series, I would think. When you look at the dy- uh, the, uh, the Dinos here, you know, they just, there's, there's something about this team where they haven't been playing as dominant. And Kiwoom has been struggling here of late. They've had a lot of issues with their starting rotations. This series should be pretty good. You've got two of the top teams in the league here. But Kiwoom has kind of fallen off a little bit. NC just not the same team that they were a couple of weeks ago, really a month ago. I don't know what I really like about this series. What I do know is that Eric Jokic will go in this series and also Choi Wante hoping for a bounce-back effort for Kiwoom. And again, with NC not getting their top pitchers, if this ends up being a lower-scoring series, Kiwoom has the advantages. Their bullpen is much better. And they probably have two of the better starting pitchers going in this series, assuming NC doesn't shuffle things around uh, with those rainouts and some of the other things that happened over the weekend. Finally, last series here, SK and Doosan. Doosan will avoid Moon Sung Wan and probably Park Jong Hoon, so a big advantage for Doosan here in this series. Lee Gyeon Wook will get another start for SK. I been beating the regression drum for this guy if it doesn't happen against Doosan it may never happen but again for Doosan here we know they've got those big home road splits they hit like gangbusters on the road they don't hit at home at all we'll see if they can hit here against this SK pitching staff big lines in this series again without Moon and Park making starts SK will be a massive underdog in all three of this all three of these games and quite frankly, they should be, because to me, they're as bad as Hanwha with the exception of Moon and Park, you know, really helping them out on the starting pitching side. So like I said, once again, we'll carry some uh, some KBO analysis through Thursday's show and next Monday, but next Thursday, it'll be all about MLB and that's how it'll be for the foreseeable future with these betters box segments. Like I said, on Tuesday, we'll chat golf, the Memorial, and also talk NASCAR with Brian Blessing. And then Thursday, The five and fly for the NL Central. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.